Welcome to episode number 57. I'm Luke Winstall. This is The Luke Winstall Show. Today I'm joined by Rennie Curran, three-time All-American, former linebacker at the University of Georgia. Curran played at UGA from 2007 to 2009 and was drafted number 97 overall in the third round of the 2010 NFL Draft by the Tennessee Titans. He played several years in the league between the Buccaneers and the Titans, and now in his life after football, is an author and motivational speaker. On the show today, we talked about his journey to becoming an elite linebacker, his time playing at the University of Georgia, and what he's up to now. We'll go ahead and dive into the interview. Rennie, thank you for joining me on the show. How are you doing today? Doing well, Lou. Glad to be on the show. Awesome. Thank you for joining me. My first question for you, what was your childhood like? I know you were the son of two Liberian immigrants. Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, my childhood, man, is definitely, when I think about it, a lot of humble beginnings uh, when it comes to just how I was raised, man. I was raised really uh, with the foundation and the values of, like, respect, hard work, discipline, uh, humility. Uh, there's a lot of things that my parents taught me from the standpoint of, like, when they came to this country, what helped them to be successful. So from the mindset to just doing things that were bigger than themselves, like during the time that they came over here, uh, there was a civil war that was taking place in their country in Liberia. And so a lot of what they did wasn't just for them. You know, a lot of, for a lot of us, we're chasing our careers, trying to put ourselves in the best position, but they also weren't only doing that for themselves, but they were trying to help a lot of my cousins, uncles, aunts, uh, everybody comes to this country and really start a new life. Uh, for a lot of them, they're refugees. So I got to see a lot of that as a, as a child. And just um, It really impacted my entire life, just uh, knowing that you can leverage like whatever your platform is, your gifts, your job, to not only uh, build yourself, but like those around you and your community. So that's been a big part of my life. So I'm wondering, what drew you to the game of football? Man, honestly, like, I was a, I was rough as hell as a kid. That was one, like, I was very, very adventurous. And so um, I was always looking for ways just to be active, running around in my neighborhood, all those things. And then, two, I was the only boy. So I had two older sisters. Uh, and then in my house, like, it was them, my mom. And then my mom took in her youngest sister, which is my aunt. So I had a house full of women, man. <laughs> And my, my dad was always working, so I was always looking for an outlet. And so once I found football, it was like I found a group of brothers. And uh, I never had any experience like it when we, we moved to Gwinnett, which is like 15 minutes from Atlanta, when I was 10 years old. And that's when I found organized football. And I just fell in love with it, man. It was an addiction. And the fact that I had like a great Little League coach who became like a second father to me, it made it uh, even more worthwhile, man. We, we really had like a team that was like a family. So I, I loved everything about it, like being able to hit people full speed. Uh, you know, the, the fact that it always challenged me to get better. Like so many aspects of the game, just like I, I love. Well, I know Gwinnett is a hotbed for athletes, especially football players. What was your experience like playing there and playing at Brookwood High School? I know you had a lot of really good competition around. Yeah, it was great, man. Like I said, my first Little League team, they were like a family. And, uh, I mean, we only lost like six games my little league years and uh, just the, comp- the competition level that we played against while I was growing up, like played against like Cameron Hayward, who's with the Pittsburgh Steelers now, 
guys like himself. Um, there's so much talent in Gwinnett. During that time is when Jeff Francoeur was coming up, who eventually went to play with the Braves. Um, David Green, David Pollock, like there was a lot of history. And so not only just like trying to uh, become a good player in uh, Brookwood High School and in Gwinnett, but also knowing the amount of athletes that have come through and the history that comes with it, man, and the excellence. Like, Brooklyn was a powerhouse school at that time. So trying to follow in the footsteps of those who came before me, man, it really just, uh, you know, gave me even more uh, just ownership and being not just another player, but being great, like being the ones who was on the walls and who were, uh, you know, had, had the records and things like that. That's one thing that really drove me was being that, like, hometown kid. Well, I know college coaches are always hanging out in the Gwinnett area trying to recruit, and I know UGA is not very far from where you grew up as well. When did you start getting recruited? What was your process like? Man, my process was, <laughs> it was tough. And, like, when I first started going up to Athens and first started recruiting, I wasn't on anybody's radar. Like, I was just basically an annoying little kid who would uh, get my little league coach to pick me up and go down to Athens all the time. I uh, my coach, my sophomore year in high school, he knew a couple of the Georgia players, uh, Dez Williams and Danny Ware, who played running back. Um, and so he connected me with Dez Williams, who was the fullback. And I used to go up there, and just like I said, I'd be like that annoying little brother who would be up there. And so even though I was gung-ho about going to University of Georgia, like they honestly could <laughs> have me nowhere on their radar. And it wasn't until, like, my sophomore, junior year that I started to get on any team's radar. And it was after, like, I started putting up ridiculous numbers. So my, my sophomore year had about 153 tackles. My junior year had 198 tackles in a season. And uh, once I did those things, man, along with what I did in the weight room and being a leader on a team, like, those are some of the things that really set me apart when it came to my recruiting. And I was considered an undersized linebacker. So even though I had the stats and the numbers, it still was really, really slow. Like the first team that came in that gave me an offer was Mississippi State. And uh, after that, Georgia Tech came in. Auburn came in after that. This was, you know, not to my junior year. I was a four-star guy. So it was, it was really for me about just really proving to everybody that I was good enough to play at that level and convincing them enough by what I did on the field to get them to take a chance. And once that happened, you know, Georgia was the last school to come in. And that's where I ultimately wanted to go. That's why, you know, 10 years old when I walked into the Stanford Stadium for the first time, that was my dream. So once they came in, it, it kind of sealed the deal on things. And I committed my junior year, April 9th, at the G-Day game. Well, looking back, you had a stellar career at UGA. You were a multi-time All-American selection. Looking back on your career there, now that it's been roughly a decade how will you remember your time playing college football? Man, I, I remember it. It's just a time of hard-ass work, man. It was nonstop. Like, people don't realize how much goes into just making it to that level from not just being on the field making plays, but just still a student as well. You know, you just have to go into the classroom and compete with some of the top students academically. You know, students who are, like, the top of their class when they came out of high school. So it's very, very challenging. And then on top of that, I was also a father, too. My daughter was born my sophomore year, uh, you know, after the South Carolina game. And so there was a lot going on in my life at that time. But when I look back on it, man, it, it was just a time of sacrifice. Like, I had fun, don't get me wrong. Athens is a great place for that. But I really, really, like, laid my body on the line. I did whatever 
I had to do necessary to uh, make sure I left the mark. You know, whether it's running to the ball on every single snap, the things I did off the field, the way that I treated people, I really just tried to maximize every single thing that you know, God has given me, man. So that's, that's the biggest thing when I look back on that time is just knowing that I gave my all. You know, nobody can say Rennie Kern didn't work hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I'm wondering, what's a moment from when you played at UGA that stuck with you, a moment that you'll never forget, whether it's on the field or off the field? Man, the biggest moment that stuck with me is something that's, like, been kind of a memory that taught me a lesson for my entire life is the time actually before I, I hit the field, before anybody knew who my name, what my name was. Like, when I first got to UGA, uh, after I got the scholarship and whatnot, I walked in the locker room, uh, I saw the talent. I wasn't getting acknowledged by the coaches. I wasn't a starter. It was the time, like, during that time until I became a starter that sticks with me most because that's when I needed, like, the most faith, the most motivation. That's when I really, really had to believe in myself. And it's true, like, with anything I'm doing now in life, whether it's starting my first business or – you know, my relationship, anything, uh, having that faith, man, and believing before something actually happens, like, that's what sticks out to me most. So when I was third string, having to go in the weight room by myself, going in the film room by myself, like, really dedicating myself to the grind and, like, loving the process before any success, before any newspaper articles, before anybody knew Rennie Kern, man, that's, that's what sticks out to me. And it, it, I, like, try to apply that mentality to, like, everything I do now. So with my business, as a speaker, you know, with, with everything I hope for, I try to take that same approach. Like, before the success comes, just knowing that i got to put the work in, i got to operate at a certain level before I'm ever going to get rewarded. Most definitely. And I know you were really well-liked when you were at UGA, both on and off the field. You had a great playing style that a lot of fans love to watch. Is there a guy today, when you turn on the TV and watch college football, it kind of reminds you of yourself, whether it's your playing style on the field or your style off the field. Man, I mean, one guy that came through UGA uh, pretty recently that reminds me of myself, and I, you know, I mentor him a little bit, talk to him every once in a while while he was there, and, and even now, uh, Roquan Smith, who played uh, linebacker at UGA. I mean, same type man, hard worker, high motor, leader on the field and off the field, great attitude, stand-up guy. Uh, articulate, you know, he, he reminds me more than any player that I've seen, especially coming through UGA. He, he reminds me the most of myself. And I'm, I'm happy for all the success he's had so far, just uh, being in the league with the Chicago Bears now. Uh, he left early as a junior, just like I did. You know, so we have a lot of similarities uh, in terms of things we're able to accomplish and, and just, uh, you know, the type of not only player, but person that he is, too. Most definitely. Now, Earlier today, I talked with Justin Scott Wesley, former UGA wide receiver, and he told me that he thinks the most talented guy that he played with in his time at UGA was Lorenzo Carter. And it got me thinking about all the guys that have played at Georgia, especially in the past decade, kind of around your time continuing through. And I know there were plenty before, but tons of really good linebackers in that span. So what do you think has led to the University of Georgia at the college and NFL level producing so many of those top guys? I mean, honestly, you look at the talent across the state of Georgia, man. Uh, a lot of guys that you mentioned, you know, Lorenzo Carter, Roquan Smith, me, uh, we're, we're all homegrown Georgia boys. Like, 
it just tells you the quality of, of uh, the state of Georgia and the type of talent that we produce, man, from North Georgia to South Georgia. You know, you go down to Valdosta Waycross, you come up to Gainesville, you're going to find uh, quality players, man. And that, that tells you about the talent. That tells you about the, the quality of the program, the high school in Georgia. And then when you get guys like that that play in state, man, it just means something. You know, you play a lot harder when you're playing for the, for the hometown school. And you know that your, your legacy, there's a certain legacy that's attached to it, man. So that, that's what I think, man, when it comes to just the success uh, that we've had at a level level of talent, like especially on the NFL level, a lot of guys. And it's just different. Like, guys will tell you, man, playing in that Georgia Heat and the type of competition that you play against, uh, even in high school, man, like, you know certain guys are going to make it. Like, I came out with the class with uh, Eric Berry, Morgan Burnett, uh, you know, tons of guys, Allen Bailey, a lot of guys who are still playing now. And so you, you knew even back then that the talent was just ridiculous, man. So, uh, yeah. What was your draft day experience like? I know you went in the third round. You were a top 100 pick to the Tennessee Titans. What was that day like for yeah. you? Man, it was the longest day of my life. <laughs> it was stressful. Stressful as crap because you don't know where you're going or where you're going to land. And then you start to see guys who – you're pretty sure you're better than the guys who come out of no-name schools that start getting drafted. And it's just like, dang, like, you know, the thoughts start hitting you. Like, you know, I don't know what's going on. But then when it happens, when you finally get drafted, it's, it's like the best feeling in the world, man. It's like better than Christmas. Cause, and not so much the fact that you got drafted. It's the fact of, like, all the hard work, man, that you put in, all the times your family struggled, all the, thing, all the times you heard no – all the time, like for me, it was like all the times I heard I was too short. Like everything just kind of came rushing back, and and it all like just hit me at one moment. And then just to just to know that I could do certain things for my family now and for my daughter, it was just overwhelming. So that's what really made it worth it was the, all the hard work, the journey, the people who helped me, like my teachers, my coaches, like everybody who poured into me and make that moment happen. And that's that's what makes the draft special. Well, once you made it to the NFL, I know you have to learn a lot when you get to the league and there's a lot that people learn. So what was the biggest lesson that came to you through your time and your few years in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I learned was definitely how to be a pro. Just when you're, when you're out of Georgia, you know, every time before that, it's not it's a dream, something that you love to do, <laughs> something, that, something that, you know, it's fun. It's like the game with the boys. But when you get to that pro level, it's a whole nother level. It's a job. It's a business. And, you know, more so than ever, you, you're a product. So, and then on top of that, it's a corporation. It's not like, you know, you're playing for this coach and you're playing for the love of the game. Like, nah, you're, you're talking like your performance is affecting bottom line and your performance, you know, potentially could change your whole entire, not just your life, but your whole entire family's life. And then also too, you're out there, you're competing against guys that, like, are 10 years older than you. Like, when I got in the league, the guy ahead of me was 33 years old. So it's not like we're just going to go and hang out afterwards and grab drinks. Like, these guys have family. So that's, that's the biggest thing I learned was just how to be a pro, how to perform at a high level regardless of how I'm feeling, and understanding the business side of things, too. Um, you know, the fact that I had an agent, financial advisor, like, the stakes are a lot higher. So it wasn't just, like, you know, fun and games. It's like you're no different than a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, or an attorney, like you have to perform at all times, and you have to be on top of your game. 
And now that I'm a businessman, like the same rules apply. So it really prepared me for that. Well, now I know you're an entrepreneur, businessman, and a public speaker. So as a keynote speaker, who do you speak to? What are you speaking about now? Yeah, so as a keynote speaker, a lot of who I talk to is schools, it's organizations, uh, high like sales organizations, so financial services, your insurance agents. I do conferences as well. Uh, and a lot of what I speak on is the same principles that help me be successful as an athlete. So a lot of leadership and professional development topics, overcoming challenges, team building, uh, change management, uh, you know, mindset, diversity, inclusion, a lot of things that tied into my world as an athlete. And so I'll go in, I'll deliver keynote presentations, I'll deliver workshops, also do one-on-one coaching as well, helping athletes and business leaders with their personal branding and with their performance career performance and everything so that's that's been you know having the background as an athlete has had a major role in the success that i've had now as a keynote speaker and as a businessman overall what made you want to get into public speaking i mean honestly man it was something that uh when i look back on on my life and my career it was something that was always there like i I a lot of times got called on to do interviews after games you know that's one area where i started to get the rest in so just making sure that when I gave an answer to an anchor or I was doing an interview like this, that my answers were articulate and I wasn't just like going through the motions. That's what kind of started. And then as I rose in success, uh, you know, whether it's that going to University of Georgia or whatever, because of the fact that I was an undersized linebacker, I got caught on by a lot of parents and, and coaches of like Little League teams and they'd be like, hey, we want you to come and share your story. We want you to talk to the kids about how you were able to overcome being undersized. And so the more and more like my platform grew, the more opportunities I got to speak. And I realized the impact that it had. And so, uh, yeah, that's where it really started. And then when I got cut after my second year uh, with the Titans, in between when I went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and eventually went up to Canada, um, I eventually started to write, you know, wrote my first book at 24 in 2013. And that created the platform for me to get into public speaking. And I, I started, you know, reading about or learning about other authors, I started uh, learning about other speakers like Eric Thomas's and really studying them. And I became addicted to it. And I realized, like, speaking gave me the same feeling that I got when I was running on the field, you know, when I was tackling tackling somebody. There's a lot of transferables. So when you think about it, when when you speak, uh, it's like you can't – you're not going to be great just overnight. You have to get the reps in. Uh, For me, I, like, watch myself afterwards just like I did on the football field. I study myself. And I look at how I, how I can improve. So all those little transferables from speaking to uh, sports, man, is why I love it, man. Because it's, it's very, very similar. That's awesome. Now, I've heard that you learned and you know how to play three instruments, piano, drums, and viola. Is that correct? Yeah, that is, man. I grew up, uh, actually started playing piano at eight years old. And then at 10, I started playing the drums in church. And uh, then by the time I got in middle school, I joined the orchestra, was playing the viola, all the way to my junior year of high school. And once I had to give up um, orchestra because of football, you know, just because the schedule got crazy, I actually got into music production. So I, I produced beats and, and all that stuff. Like, music has been a major part of my life. I still have a music room in my place now and still play play by ear and things like that. So, yeah, that's that's a big part. And I'm, anytime I talk to athletes, man, I'm like, don't, don't just box yourself in. Don't just be an athlete. Be more. And really challenge yourself to grow and, and expose yourself to different things. So 
yeah, that's, that's been a big part of my life. Yeah, you're definitely much more than an athlete. I had to ask about the music because I know it's been a big part of your life throughout, but what inspired you to learn all of those instruments and make music such a big part of your life? Yeah, I mean, I just loved it, man. I, I loved it. Um, it it's, there was no, like, well, actually, there was a big inspiration that uh, early on, now that I think about it, whenever I was, like, because I, I was an adventurous kid, I was always in the streets, I was always finding myself in trouble, and so one of the, the ways my uh, parent, my mom especially, she got me to calm down was uh, and just be still was by exposing me to music. Like, she, she would have me watch, like, all these different music artists and, like, watch their greatest hits their greatest hits video so it would be like Lionel Richie Tina Turner uh, Michael Jackson of course uh, all these different artists even you know uh, ABBA like Dancing Queen like <laughs> like videos like that man so my musical exposure was huge and then you tap like the African my African background African heritage we have rich like music is a big part of our culture as well so that's really what kind of started things and then once I got playing the piano and taking lessons, like I started learn, getting the formal training, uh, and I would start to play, you know, any anything that I love to hear on the radio, I would just start to play it. And, and, you know, when you think about major moments in your life, there's always, like, music attached to it. So whether it's, like, football, pregame, you know, you got a song that really inspires you and drives you, or it's a girl that you like, and so there's a love song that inspires you, like, all, all those things, like, when it comes to music, man, that, those are things that inspired me. Just, it was a big part of my life. Awesome. Rennie, that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Next up on the Luke Winstall Show, I spoke with former University of Georgia wide receiver Justin Scott Wesley. You may remember Justin from the 2013 UGA season where he made two game-breaking plays one against South Carolina, an 85-yard touchdown to seal the game, or his game-winning 25-yard touchdown catch against number 6 LSU. Justin was a big playmaker when he played in college. Now in the business world, he's a big playmaker. I'm looking forward to bringing you the story of Justin Scott Wesley next week. That does it for this edition of the podcast. I'm Luke Winstall. This has been episode number 57 of The Luke Winstall Show.